Well, good evening, Mosaic. It is good to see you guys. We're coming in, finding our seats. For those of you who joined us online, thank you for being with us tonight. We're excited to worship together. Uh, hey, we got some things going on that, that I wanted to, to kind of clue you in on. Uh, first of all, this Wednesday night at 6.30, I invite you to join me for our Creating Space time. Uh, we're going to be doing an overview of the book of Joshua. So as we've been uh, jumping into this study, this is going to take some time just go over it. If, you, uh, if you're leading a community group or a disciple-making community that's going through the Joshua study, this could be really helpful. Or if you just want to dig in deeper. Uh, but following it, the best part of it is following the overview that I'm going to do, we're going to have a panel of people that you can just fire your questions at. And I promise you, they will have all the answers. And I will point to them for all the answers. So anyway, uh, but just join us for that, and I think you'll really enjoy that. Also, just a, a quick reminder, also the uh, virtual class, uh, Panorama Plus Four, which is actually a, a study of the book of Joshua, uh, begins this, uh, this week as well. So you can do that online as well. Okay? Hey, as we're going through uh, the Joshua, we're going to run into some things um, that I find really interesting. Uh, in the history of Israel, whenever there would be something significant, something really important that God wanted them to remember, they would create some kind of a memorial that would remind them of that something important. For example, the night before God led them out of the, uh, out of the captivity in Egypt, he, uh, he instituted a, a, a thing called Passover. And to this day, Jews still celebrate Passover as a memorial of what God did for them. And so you'll find times that they'll do that. And God says to them, I want you to do this so that when your children ask you, what does this mean? And so the assumption is that when they see the memorial, it'll trigger something in them. And so uh, for those of us who, who are parents or have you know, raised our kids or whatever, it's really neat when somebody just hands you a great opportunity to teach your children some of the great things of the faith. And so God gave us a couple of those that we do. And we're going to do both of those tonight. But I want to talk to you just real briefly about kind of what, what they are. The first one is you came in, you got something, uh, a little cup and piece of bread that's on the top. This is what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And on the night before Jesus was crucified, you see a similarity there? The night before they were delivered, the night before Jesus was crucified, he was taking Passover with his disciples. And it says he took and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, remember me. And then he gave him the cup and said, drink, this is my blood, remember me. And so tonight, we're going to be at the end of our service. We're going to be taking communion. And the reason we do that is so that we can have a tangible, simple bread juice reminder of the incredible thing that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Remember me. Another memorial that we do that he gave to us is the memorial of baptism. And when we, when we uh, observe baptism, what we're doing is we're, we're doing a tangible act. We take somebody, we put them in the water, we put them under, and we bring them back up, 
hopefully we bring them back up. It's always better when we do that. Uh, but we'll, we put them under, we bring them back up. And there's a picture there, and, and Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that it is the picture of we've been buried with Christ in baptism, and we've been raised to walk in a new life. And so by this simple picture, the common element of water, we remember. We remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so tonight, we're going to remember. Good setup, Doug. Tonight, we're going to remember. Hey, uh, friends and family, this is Jareb Harrell. Will you say hi to Jareb? Say hello, Jareb. How's it going? <laughs> How's it going? Um, hey, I, I've known Jareb for seven years now. Um, when I first moved to Northwest Arkansas, I worked as the ozone director in Springdale at Camp War Eagle, and Jareb was one of my eighth grade students, and he came every Tuesday night to the Jones Center, and uh, we played dumb games and talked about the Lord and did Bible studies and such, and I have seen Jareb continue to lean in to the Holy Spirit season after season, year after year in his life. Um, it's been incredibly inspiring to me as he and I have just grown in our friendship and in our relationship and our brotherhood to see someone that through the muck, through the gross, through the screw-ups and through the mess, Jareb continues to reach out to the Lord and, and even continue to reach out to me. Uh, when I came on staff at the church, I saw him a lot less because I wasn't at Ozone as much. I was at, I was at church a lot more often um, and Jareb would continue to reach out in season saying, Scott, I'd... I'd love prayer for this, or Scott, I would love wisdom and advice for this, or, or sometimes just simply, Scott, I would love to meet with you so that we can pursue the Lord together and so that I can learn more about him. And uh, Jared came back on my radar after a, a couple months of not seeing each other. He came back on my radar um, a few weeks ago um, and pretty much just said, Scott, I'm in. And I love the Lord more than ever, and I've been feeling his presence in my life more than ever, and I wanna follow him more than ever before. And so like seven years of excitement and prayers and, and um, friendship with Jareb, I just was like, yes! So we started hanging out, we started uh, reading the word together, we started talking, we started praying together, and, and a few weeks ago, Jareb said, um, hey, can I get baptized? And I kind of felt bad because I didn't like really offer it first, you know? Um, he was just like, can I get baptized? And, and it's led to this moment. Um, so I'm excited that you guys are here to experience this with us tonight. Um, and Jared was very excited to be able to profess his faith before a body of believers. So, Jared, do you believe in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that his desire is for you to believe in him and be given fullness of eternal life in heaven forever? Do you believe that he has covered all your sin and that he's forgiven you? Amen. Okay, Jared, take a seat right here. In light of all those things, Jareb, in light of your faith, um, and present in front of these people here today, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are buried with Christ in baptism and you are raised to walk in newness of life. Would you stand with us and sing tonight and declare the goodness of God? 
No gifts, no power, no wisdom. 
Righteousness, the great. 
to our future church.
for giving us voice to do that here and now and giving us a look to the future where we will join all of creation in that song around your throne. Thank you for your goodness to us, your patience and your forbearance with us. Thank you for making a way for us to know you. Amen. You can be seated. And as you do so, Aaron's going to read... um, the scripture for us. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now, the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell us, if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So in ancient Israel, they had a practice where they would gather around the table and they'd get the, the family, the kids, neighbors, and they would sit with one another under the stories of this Yahweh, this promise-keeping God. And it's a joy even to gather, not around a table, but masked up in this place with you to again sit under the stories of our promise-keeping God. Good evening. How are you tonight? Good. If you're online, hey, good to see you. Uh, if you're new or visiting, my name's Colin. Uh, it's really good to be here with you tonight. And uh, I'd love it if you would have a Bible or a device. That's totally fine and acceptable to God. Would you open up to Joshua chapter 2? Uh, we're going to rest in there for a little bit tonight. And I'd actually love it if you just had your hands and your own eyes on God's word. Because I think it has some purposes for you. And uh, I, I love, just briefly before we get into chapter 2, uh, a, a quick overview. I love how uh, Old Testament and Hebrew scholar Kenneth Barker says it. Joshua is the story of the kingdom of God breaking into the world at a time when national and political entities were viewed as the creation of the gods and living proofs of their power. So you have national leaders, tribes that are in constant conflict with one another, and they're building up these idols to show off this is how powerful our tribe is. It's a season of conflict, of chaos, of crisis strife. Sounds familiar. But Joshua is the story of God dethroning those pagan idols in Canaan. 
It's a story of God's kingdom and rule breaking into our world once again and him bringing his love and justice unified. I love how Mark Schatzman said it last week. If you're looking, if you take notes in your Bible and you wanna put these up top over the book of Joshua, Joshua is the story of God's presence, God's promises, and our participation. Isn't that good? Nice little summary of Joshua. And uh, uh, in our kind of current 21st century uh, post-Christian culture that, that, that's developing in our world right now, and in, even in our nation, uh, I feel like we'd be at a disservice if we didn't take a second to acknowledge there's a couple of ways in our culture Joshua's been handed, handled pretty poorly. And I don't say this to poke ideological bears within y'all. I actually say this as a place of this is something within me that I kind of approach this text with. And two of them, the first one is, could be known as Christian agnosticism. It's, it's coming into this view and wanting to dismiss this God of the Old Testament. See, I want the God who's just in the New Testament, the God of love and the God of peace and the God of hope. And it kind of tries to see this divide between the Old and the New Testaments. The problem is that when you actually begin to notice in and throughout the Old Testament, this is telling us a grand story with a triune God who is faithful and consistent. And friends, you cannot have justice without love. Those things are not separate. They're actually coming together. So this view, uh, it seeks to uh, kind of have an idol where I have this God that I can create and control and so I'll come to Joshua, but it's not with this idea of I wanna know more about this God. It's, it's kind of to distance this God. And it's actually wrecking a lot of the hearts and minds of many who try to come to the book of Joshua with this view. Also is a, a Christian dominionism. It's this view that kind of sees us as Israel. And so it is our job to go and defeat all of our enemies on this earth. And it kind of sounds Christian at first, but as you start to get more into this, when you start to read yourself as Israel, who's coming into this, this redemptive moment in God's history program, and you start to identify your enemy as other image bearers and forget who the real enemy is in this world, it can begin to lead down some dangerous roads in the text. And we can begin to see anyone who disagrees with us whether that be in a social or a political or in our culture, we don't see them as image bearers or potential restored image bearers. We actually see them as, as opposing to our rule and reign in this world. And again, it has this view that it starts to set in on idolatry because I start to create this God who's not the God, the Yahweh of Israel. He's this kind of my version of God and I want him to do my bidding rather than submitting to him. And both of these are playing at large, not only in our culture, you can maybe even feel the tension as we dive into it in our own hearts. And so what I'd love to do before diving into chapter two is provide a, a better view and, and I would argue a more biblical way to approach Rahab tonight. And it's this. Now Joshua is a part of the greater story that centers on the person and work of Jesus at his first and second coming. And that's not just Joshua, that's Genesis to Revelation, Amen. Like this is the story of scripture of our faithful, loving, triune God bringing his kingdom into this earth and renewing all things and inviting us to be a part of it. And so what I'd love to do is as we approach this text tonight, let's keep Joshua 2 within the greater unified story of scripture. And hopefully what you'll begin to see 
is as we just heard, this scarlet rope, oh, it's all across it. And before we go any further, I'd love it, could we just, I don't know if anyone's invited you to slow down for a second today and to breathe and pray, so would you just close your eyes? Would you take a second and just acknowledge maybe how you're feeling? Is there anything making you anxious, frustrated in this season? And together, let's pray. Father, you promise us that in and through your word, every single time it is read, seen, talked about, understood, as the rain outside falls to the ground and produces vegetation, so it is with your word. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself tonight that you would accomplish whatever purposes you have in store as we approach this text. It's in your beautiful and precious name we pray, amen. Look in Joshua chapter two, verse one with me. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and she rested there. And they rested there. Uh, first and foremost, friends, take note, Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. So from the very first word of this passage, this is telling us something about what's gonna take place. That Yahweh is salvation and he's up to something and he's coming into an enemy territory with pagan gods to the house of a prostitute. On the outskirts of a, a fortified city of Jericho, where Rahab and her family are kind of caught in between the crossfire of this conquest. And uh, I'd like to, with some sensitive ears in the room tonight, uh, I don't wanna press too much into some of the things that are taking place in Rahab's world, uh, more so just so I'll let mom and dad handle those later. But I will say this, no child, when they grow up, dreams of this occupation. See, Rahab is on the outskirts of a city where there is a lot of corruption and she has found herself in the middle of that corruption and brokenness. Abused, used, a commodity. This is a woman in need of a new identity. And in this place, uh, the things that are taking place around Rahab, there's evil, demonic, oppressive forces at play. And so I think there's one way we could approach Rahab and we could kind of maybe have our nose up to her and oh, this, this sinner, I'm not like that, when actually I think the story's inviting us to go, this is our story. And so if you're gonna apply this, if you're gonna be anyone in this story, Rahab's actually the person you wanna be because she's the one who will be commended for her faith. And so rather than approach Rahab with disgust, let's, let's try to view her how God views her tonight. A woman in, in need of an identity in the midst of crisis. Look with me in uh, verse two through seven. Rahab does something very courageous, but also uh, kind of irrational uh, or reckless. 
See, she, she welcomes in these enemy spies to her home. Here comes Yahweh's army. Come, spies, come be here. I'll keep you safe. And the king of Jericho comes around and starts asking, hey, we're looking for these spies. And what does is, what is Rahab do? She lies. It's like when kids, like they break something in your house. And you know something's broken. You know something's messed up. And you come to them and you say, hey, what happened? What do they say? I don't know. <laughs> no clue. They did it, right? It, here's this woman in need of a new identity, and she's taking courage because she's inviting God's presence, coming to her house, but at the same time, she's trying to work her way out of this. So the scriptures don't commend her for this kind of behavior, but they also don't ignore it. See, again, here is a woman in need of an identity change, and in amongst this identity change, she's trying her best to strive and make this thing work. And then in verse eight. Now before the spies lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, listen to this profession of faith. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. She continues in 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea. Verse 11. When we heard these things, our hearts melted and no courage remained in anyone any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heaven uh, above and on earth below. See, an identity crisis. This woman in need of it trying to fight her way out of this thing. And then when it comes opportunity uh, under a starry night in Jericho up on this roof with two of Israel's spies, there's this profession of faith. And I often think sometimes we, we can think of faith, how our culture defines it. It's blind, you know, just, just kind of a leap of faith. Whereas Rahab's whole story, notice she has heard of this triune God, this Yahweh, this God of Israel who has done miraculous things among them. She's heard of how the Red Sea was split and how Israel walked in the middle of it and was saved from oppressive Egypt. She's heard of how good this God has been and all of the conflict that Israel has been in and then she comes to this profession, your God is the God of heaven above and on earth below. See, biblical faith, there's a knowledge. She knows. She has an understanding of this God. And not only that, there's a desire. There's a, a desire to, to be in the presence of this God. And lastly, there's a commitment. She commits to it. Friends, I would argue that if, if you have this kind of loosey-goosey, blind faith, it's not gonna work. But when we begin to know and understand who God is and what God does, it increases our desire to both know him and be with him, and then we commit, and we follow him, and that, friend, is the act of faith. And not only that, check out Rahab, a woman of courage, a woman of faith, and a woman of love. She partakes in God's redemptive program because immediately after her profession, she turns towards her family, and she starts to plead, have mercy on them. Since I've dealt kindly with you, deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth to spare my father and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and save our lives from death. See, this is Rahab's testimony. This is her 
story of how God moved into her little brothel in Jericho and began to shake things up and give her something completely new and different. Not only that, as we continue to go through the scriptures, the next time you'll hear about Rahab is gonna be Joshua chapter six. And not to steal the thunder of that chapter, but in comes Israel and they're faithful. God comes through and, it, and Rahab and her family are welcomed into the fold of God. And then the next time you hear about her is in Matthew chapter one, verse five, where it says that Rahab is actually in the genealogy of Jesus. That this prostitute in Jericho has now become something so significant to the redemptive story in and throughout, the, throughout scripture. And then we come to Hebrews. If you look with me in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the heroes of the faith, it says this, that by faith, is being sure of what we have hoped for and being convinced of what we do not see. For by it, the people of old received God's commendation. And this is the heroes of faith, those men and those women who God has invited to play a part in his redemptive purposes. And it just begins going down the list and finally we get down to verse 31. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped the destruction of the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in with peace. And this tells us something very significant, not just about Rahab, but about our God. See, Rahab has a past, has some problems, and God, even in and through that, brings his grace. Rahab's not saved by her hiding of the spies. It's actually by the profession of her trust and the God who is above and the God who is below, who's stepping in to bring his redemption into the world. See, grace is through faith alone. Because if it's by works, Rahab didn't cut it. And neither do you, and neither do I. Rahab's story is this, that God's grace is moving into this world and inviting us to be a part. So we're not saved by our works, but we're definitely saved for them because even as you can see, Rahab in the Hall of Fame, immediately after the profession of faith, she then goes out to invite others to join God's redemptive program. So from a prostitute in a brothel, to a citizen of God's kingdom. God radically gives her a new identity. And so uh, God offers Rahab something that, that we all long for. He offers her a new identity and a calling in his, redemption, uh, in his mission of redemption. See, identity at its core is all about, am I worth it, am I valuable? And we actually have a whole system right now in our culture known as Facebook. <laughs> where we log on and we have these little anxious identity crises, right? Because you put something out there and we put this post or this saying or this thought. Does anyone like it? Do I have worth? Do I have value? And not only on a social media platform, that's the day-to-day way. I don't know about you, but I often see myself. Do I have value in this world? What is my identity? Who am I? The question of every single millennial. (laughs) Who am I? What's my real self? And we're constantly looking for our identity and what we do. And here comes God to Rahab and says, no, 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 no. It's not what you've done, but what I have. And he gives her a new identity. And not only that, he gives her a new calling. So if identity is our worth and our value, then our calling is what we do with our worth and value. And God comes to Rahab and calls her a heroine of the faith, 
a daughter of the Most High God, a woman with value, dignity, purpose, a spiritual leader in ancient Israel who becomes a member of the lineage of the Messiah. And isn't the Old Testament, this is just another story of a broken man or woman in a broken, sinful world as God steps in and invites them to play a part in his redemptive program. But the story doesn't end there. Look with me in verse 15, where we have the promise of the scarlet cord. Joshua 2 Look down in 18, and the the spies come to her and they say, tie this cord of scarlet thread down a window through which you let us down. And so she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Hey, kiddos, you got these in your hands around you? Let me see them, hold them up. We got scarlet threads anywhere? This is something incredibly significant that's taking place in the scriptures. And the same way Matt Newman a few weeks ago, he taught us about a cup of water. Do you all remember that? And he said he wants to radically change how you see a cup of water so every time you see it, you're reminded of Jesus' offer to go offer it to someone else. My prayer for you tonight is that every time you see the color red, oh, it radically changes the way you view God and yourself. See, this scarlet thread is something that's actually all over the scripture. So the symbolism that's taking place with Rahab actually finds itself all the way back in Genesis 3. See, in the garden uh, right outside of Eden, right after Adam and Eve have sinned, God covers them with garments. This is the first identification of of a sacrifice of animals that then cover. There wasn't Adam and Eve's blood. It was that of uh, them in Eden. Hey, go ahead and uh, hit that next slide for me if you would, Megan. Genesis chapter 22, you have Isaac's ram. Again, another story where God comes to Abraham and Abraham and Isaac are up on the altar and God provides the sacrifice. And the scarlet, the blood that it represents through that, lamb, or through that uh, ram covers the multitude of sins. And then you continue in this really beautiful story of uh, Perez and Zerah, these two twins born in a really dysfunctional family. And uh, what we have is this scarlet thread gets put on uh, Zerah's arm, and he's to be the firstborn. He's to be the one to inherit everything in the family. But then after putting the scarlet thread on, out comes Perez. And what was expected to be this firstborn, i.e. a first Adam, is replaced by another after a scarlet thread is tied. The Passover lamb in Exodus, that as Israel is getting ready for the the redemption of, of leaving the slavery to Egypt, there's this red blood that is painted over every door of the Israelites and they're led in redemption and freedom to the crossing of the what sea? Red Sea, you starting to see how we got some red happening throughout the scriptures here? All the way to the high priest garment where there's scarlet and there's purple representing royalty and sacrifice and later will come a high priest who wears those colors well to Rahab's scarlet cord hung from a window which will be identified as the symbol of salvation for her and her family to the entire sacrificial system across the Old Testament where the blood of lambs and goats would be Build on behalf of the sins of God's people. And so this red thread actually finds itself all throughout the Old Testament. And then we come to the New Testament with this pronouncement. 
But the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From a window in Jericho at a brothel to Jerusalem, where this guy named Jesus steps on the scene and this God-man starts doing miraculous works and he continues God's redemptive narrative and he's inviting prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners to the table all the way up to a cross where his blood is shed for the sin of all of mankind. And then you find your way through the epistles if you continue in this thread of scripture where in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says that remember at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hmm. From, see, Rahab's story that's our story. All the way to one of my favorite books in all of scripture at the climax of the grand narrative. In Revelation chapter five, John sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain and standing at the center of the throne encircled by four living creatures and elder and listen to this new song that they're singing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests. Identity statement. To serve our God, our calling. And they will reign on the earth. See, similar to Joshua, you remember what his name meant? Yahweh is salvation. Joshua translated into, from Hebrew into the Greek. You know what his name is? Jesus. See, Joshua uh, comes in, but Jesus came to drive out evil in his creation, just as Joshua was doing in the conquest. But unlike Joshua, Jesus' weapons were wisdom and love and sacrifice. In the book of Joshua, God is triumphant over Canaan despite death and violence and battle against the pagan gods and those who worship them. But Jesus, he comes and triumphs over death itself, not through violence endured on his enemies, but through himself. Joshua brought victory at the expense of his enemy's blood, but Jesus is the lamb in Revelation who's not standing in the blood of his enemies, standing in his own. See, the conquest in Joshua is not that strange agnostic divide between there's an Old Testament God and there's a New Testament God. No, quite the contrary. Joshua points us to Jesus, the true conqueror who ushers in this upside down kingdom amidst the ruling powers of the enemy in our world. And so from an ancient brothel in Jericho to the throne of God in heaven to Northwest Arkansas, this scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus is all over the narrative of scripture and we have a part in it. See, because Jesus is offering us a new identity and a new calling in this life. There's hope and power and eternal value in the blood of our resurrected King. 
And so uh, I had the privilege and opportunity of getting to serve with an organization in India uh, many years ago, before I came on staff at Fellowship. And uh, we, we had the opportunity to meet um, this young woman, but as well as uh, a lot of her, what she would call her family, but what was actually more like a, a, a gang of street kids. Um, and we'll, for her privacy's sake online, we'll, we'll just call her S. And uh, S had been abandoned by her family and left in the streets uh, of New Delhi uh, without a home, so she was actually taken in at, at one of the red light districts where her, as well as her kind of herd of friends, that's where they roamed and worked. And uh, the team of, of church planners and global workers I was working with, uh, they would come into these areas of the red light district and they would begin to offer clothes and food and not just that, they would begin to share the scarlet thread. And uh, I'll never forget one day we were sitting down a satsang that is a study of the scripture and we're walking through the story of Jesus coming to town and sitting down with prostitutes. And uh, as the stories are being shared, you're beginning to see through translation, these women and these children are beginning to hear something they haven't heard before. I have value. I have dignity. And more importantly, that there is a God who loves me. And I'll never forget, S asked a really good question. Her English was incredible. She raised her hand and she said, how do I know that God loves me? And we said, well, what do you mean, S? And she said, well, I look at all the corruption and the pain in my India. And how do I know there's a God who loves me? And one of the team leaders of this team, he did something really beautiful I'll never forget. He asked her, he said, hey, give me one of your necklaces. And she gave it to him. And he took it, and he began to form the necklace, and he wrapped it into a cross. And he gave it back to her. And he said, S, this is a symbol of what God has done because he loves you. So uh, this is about two years ago. I uh, received a, a message from one of the workers who's still working around that area of the, of the red light district. And guess who's grown up a little more and is plugged in with one of the community of faiths within that neighborhood? Scarlet thread from a brothel in Jericho to the red light district in India. And God's redemptive program is still inviting image bearers to play a part. And he's giving us new identity as sons and daughters of the most high God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, as saints, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, pure, washed, spotless in his eyes, identity. And he's gives us a calling to love him and love others. In every single thing we do, not striving for value in this life, we find our value in what he calls us and what he's done. And because of that, we have the ability and opportunity to live it out in this world. And so, friends, the story of Rahab, that's my story. That's our story. And the beauty is that tonight we will continue to celebrate that red scarlet thread.
And I'd invite you to go ahead and open it and we're gonna hold it and take it together here in a moment. And uh, what I'd love for you to do is before we sing in song, would you take a second and would you hold the elements in front of you? And would you begin to think, what are the identity statements that I or the enemy are telling myself? I'll give you a hint. They're usually not loving and they're usually not true. What are those I am statements that you tell over yourself on a daily, regular basis that you need to be reminded of how God sees you tonight? So I'd ask you, before we sing, would you just take a moment and with the elements, start thinking through what are those I am identity statements that are not true? friends, I'd invite you, would you lean in and would you listen? You can always know the Lord because it'll be loving and true. Who does God call you tonight? How does he see you? And I'd ask you, would you take it in a second? Would you close your eyes and with the elements, the scarlet thread running through our story in our hands, remind yourself of who Jesus calls you tonight. the bride of Christ, as the beloved saints, as the pure and spotless, washed by the blood of Jesus, would y'all stand and let's sing to our good King and friend
So we take the simple things like bread and juice, and we remember what Christ has done for us. As we close, a couple of things I want to uh, just leave you with. First of all, a couple of questions that, that I want you to be considering this week. Uh, just kind of work through those in your own time with the Lord and also in your disciple-making communities. Uh, just ask these two questions and see what God has to say. What is God revealing to you through Rahab's testimony? And how has Jesus changed our identity? And then as an apprentice of Jesus... Who is God calling us to love and serve this week? What is one way we can express our faith in love? And in light of the kind of the story of Rahab, let me point you to one possible opportunity. There's an organization called Into the Light that deals with uh, people who are in human trafficking. And uh, most of that has to do with the kind of things that, that Rahab was doing. And so if that's something that God lays on your heart, there are so many different ways you could get involved in uh, with them. You could give, uh, you could volunteer, but most of all, you can pray. So would we do that? Um, Mosaic, thank you for being here tonight. May God bless you and walk with you this week. You're dismissed.